0: Welcome to The Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain you, inspire you, and inform you about all things running. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief of Runner's World. This week, we are devoting the entire show to answering your training questions. For the past few weeks, we've been asking you, our listeners, to send us your queries on anything from motivation to getting faster to training in the heat. And you responded. We got so many emails, tweets... And Facebook posts with really great questions. So let's get right to it. Thanks for joining us. Okay, I'm really excited to host this, our third roundtable. Today's topic, general training questions, and they came in in all kinds of categories from early morning run issues to tips about speed and distance to running on hills and cross-training, nutrition, running in the heat, treadmill training, and and also half-marathon training. Thank you to all the listeners who sent in questions. Uh, Just one quick note on the front end, we are not going to talk about marathon training. In this particular conversation, we dedicated a whole episode exclusively to marathon training. That was episode 21 of the Runner's World show, so if you are interested in marathons specifically, check out that episode. But we will be covering all kinds of other topics in the next hour or so, and with me in the studio today to do that are three colleagues and friends. First, Tish Hamilton, the executive editor of Runner's World. Hey, Tish. Hi, David. Also, Megan Keita, who is our training editor. She's been on the show several times. Good to have you for this, Megan.
1: Glad to be here, David.
0: And back for yet another roundtable is Coach Bud, a.k.a. the training director of Runner's World, Bud Coates. Hey, Bud.
2: Hello. Glad to be here.
0: Okay. Again, lots of great questions in a bunch of different categories, and I thought it would make sense to just start right at the top, which is to say at the top of the day. We got a couple of questions about running early in the morning, lots of runners run early in the morning for all kinds of reasons. Um, Tish, I'm looking at you. I know you are an early morning runner. We got a great question from Ryan Krempen, And the question is, I have four young children and travel for work. So early morning is the best time for me to run. It's not an issue of getting up. The problem is that once I start running, I either need a bathroom after 15 minutes, or if I escape that issue, I run out of gas after three to four miles. Is there anything I can do differently the night before and immediately when I wake up to have better luck? Tish, I know you have run countless hours when it's still dark in the morning. What's your advice?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, This morning I ran at 545, which actually seems civilized and not that early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm very sympathetic to the needing to use the bathroom issue. And uh, one thing that I would suggest is um, to have a route where you know you're going to find a bathroom in in 15 or 20 minutes. My sister has this issue, and that's what she does. Uh, And it might mean circling back to your home. In my area, we have construction sites where I know where the clean porta-potties are or a train station that's got an open bathroom, so that's one thing, but you, of course you'd rather just avoid that issue altogether. And if he's bonking at three or four miles, that suggests to me that he's, he's too hungry. Uh, and so you, you can combat that by either having a snack a little bit later at night, closer to bedtime, or having something uh, before you run. And that that might mean getting up a little bit earlier, and I can understand why, if you're already setting the clock for five o'clock, why you don't want to get up earlier and eat. So maybe have a little bit snack so you're not starving when you start your run.
0: Megan, before you took over the training editor role at Runner's World, you did a lot of work on the nutrition beat. You still do do a lot of work on the nutrition beat. Any thoughts on this question?
1: You know, I have a lot of fueling issues personally, so I can totally relate to his question. My go-to whenever I need a snack that's not going to upset my stomach is a banana. Maybe a whole banana is a little bit much if you're getting up at five in the morning and you're not feeling hungry when you get up, Um, but then just have a few bites. Even that little amount of carbohydrate can kind of make you feel like you have some sugar in your system, get your blood sugar going a little bit higher and you're less likely to feel faint or woozy uh, while you're out running.
0: Right. So some of this is kind of personal preference, right? It's interesting. Over the years, I found that people can be broken down into two camps in this issue, which if you run in the morning, do you eat anything before you run? And I am with you. I I always eat something. Oh, I have to. I have to. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't. A Mm -hmm. lot of people just get out of bed with nothing. Yeah, Bud's raising his hand. And I was going to turn to you because I know that this is how you roll, Bud. And so some of it is personal preference, but some of it also is just nutritional science, how does it work when it comes to having fuel in your tank or glycogen in, in your muscle stores when it comes to waking up in the morning? bud.
2: Well, first of all, when you first wake up, you've basically been fasting for however long it's been since you had your last meal. So it's it's eight um, hours, 10 hours, whatever it might be. So what I'm suggesting um, here is that very similar to what Tish had, had recommended is plan your first 15 minutes as a loop that brings you back to your house. Um, you can use the bathroom in your house, um, and you can also use that, that first 15 minutes as a nice, calm warmup. So once you start to exercise, if you start at a low rate, your body is going to activate the release of glycogen into the bloodstream, which becomes glucose, and that's your source of energy. If it's done calmly and under control, um, you shouldn't actually hit the wall. If you start too fast, not unlike you know in a race, um, you're going to go anaerobic fairly quick. You're not going to have enough glucose in your bloodstream because you're going to be running too fast, and that's when you bonk. Um, so if if you're a person that can start slowly, um, then you don't really need to nourish yourself in the morning before you go out for a run. If you constantly have that problem, then what you need to do is is you know become a study of one nibble on a few things um, in the morning and then find out what it is that works for you. It could be a portion of a banana, it could be a portion of a muffin, but you know just something to kick start the energy system. You want to be careful though not to have too much because you don't want to be diverting blood to the stomach so that it can digest food while you're also trying to exercise.
0: All right, another important part of lots of runners' early morning nutrition routines, including mine, of course, is coffee, caffeine. How does that enter this equation, Bud? Does caffeine speed up the process of glycogen delivery or digestion?
2: Well, there's there's some research that, that supports the fact that, that coffee will help you actually um, increase the availability of, of fat as a source of energy, but not so much um, the release of car- uh, glycogen into the system for glucose. I use the coffee basically to get myself to, the, you know, to the, to the bathroom. To um, the WC. And yeah. Um, and there's information out there that, you know, kind of supports caffeine, you know, in that, that realm. There's also information that just supports a warm beverage to do the same thing. Um, it doesn't work when I drink tea or hot water. I, I need my coffee. Okay. okay. You, you both are coffee fiends, Tish and Maria. I.
3: Have my coffee maker is programmed to go off <laughs> at five o'clock, so by the time I get downstairs at five ten, it's already ready. <laughs> and I don't, I don't understand how anybody goes anywhere without their coffee first. Right.
2: I'm <laughs> with you, Tish.
0: Okay, I'm going to make a little bit of a sudden jump from the early morning into the afternoon because we got some really great questions about training in the heat. So it's not super hot around here, Runners World HQ. At the moment but i think we all know that the heat is coming uh we got a question from brian Lindsay, who lives in thailand and he says he recently ran his first ultra he's been there for two years and he didn't think heat would affect him that much he finished the race but he felt so depleted And his question is, what can I be doing to train and race better under hot conditions? So, you know, that was a very specific question about running ultras in Thailand. Probably not a lot of listeners who are planning on running an ultra in Thailand anytime soon. But the general question um, is definitely relevant, which, again, what can people do to train and race better under hot conditions? Megan.
1: My my thought is you got to train and run and race in the heat to get better at training and racing in the heat. Um, so that's why so many people struggle when there's a hot spring race. They haven't been training in that weather. Whereas in the fall, people can deal with heat a little bit better because they've been training all summer long. Um, they're Is science behind this that the more you train in hot conditions the better your body gets at dealing with that heat and the better you will run when it cools off again so really there is a lot of benefit to struggling through warmer runs Um, some of the ways I cope with it personally um, I try to run early in the morning when it's not quite as hot out uh, but in PA that gives us high humidity so it's kind of a you know, win and lose situation there. Um, I also like to do uh, looped long runs if I have to run long in the heat. So um, I might come back to my house every few miles to put ice in my sports bra or under my hat um, to refill my water bottle with cold water. Um, And other than that, you know, Wear as little clothing as possible and load up on the sunscreen because it's important to be safe with your skin.
0: Yep, excellent point. Tish, you grew up in the South. You've run a lot in the heat. What What do you What do you do to prepare for yeah, training I know in the Yeah, I was
3: looking at this question and he said he's lived in Thailand for two years. And I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's hot and humid pretty much from March to November. And and I have to say, you know, growing up there, it didn't really um, prepare me for running well in the heat. You know, I. I Still don't run well in the heat. It it totally knocks me out. So I was going to add to what Megan said to, by saying, um, adjust your expectations. You know, you, Every run is going in the heat is going to be slower than whatever you would do on a cooler day. So if it's an easy run, your easy run is going to be a pace that you can't even believe you're running that slow. And if you're doing a 5K and it's blazing hot, your pace is not going to be the same as it would be if it were a nice, cool, crisp day. An ultra, of course, or any long run, you know, exacerbates all the effects of the heat and you've got to mentally prepare for that and you've got to prepare for it. It by having you know electrolytes in your sports drink or or you know electrolyte pill, whatever you want to take, um, and just like really dial back your expectations, so you're not beating up on yourself for not performing as you as well as you would on a cool day.
0: Right. So two things I just want to spend a bit more time on that Tish mentioned. But one is is fluids. How should people think about changing? their hydration plan for the hot weather and how far in advance do you need to lead up to that?
2: Well, I think the, the most important thing is, is is exactly that, the fluids. And if you can try to schedule your fluids for about every two miles, every 3K, that seems to be um, when when people um, can not only take advantage of it, but it's early enough so that you don't go too long and, and go beyond. Um, not just needing to get hydrated, but being dehydrated. So so about every two miles is, is key. And whether you carry uh, a bottle with you or you know you have a, a gator pack um, or you like w- when I train, I, I actually have what I refer to as a parks loop and I go through five parks in the Lehigh Valley and they all have water fountains and I stop at every one of those water fountains. So the, the key there is, is is just to make sure you know, how and when you're gonna get your fluids in. And if you can get them in, you know, every two to three miles, that's that's ideal.
0: And I would just add, as with anything, it helps to also understand what your unique physiology is, right? We all sweat at different rates. And we also are different sweaters. Some of us have saltier sweat than others, right? Oh,
2: absolutely. So, you know, again, um, you know, there's there's there was a period of time when, uh, salt was was taboo you weren't to touch it Um, but we realized over time that you do need a little bit of salt in your diet in order to hold that water in and take advantage of it so um you know having a little bit of salt in your diet or um you know uh, supplementing with with some some salt is not a bad idea the other thing that i think megan touched upon was that um you know, if you're training for a hot marathon, you've got to train in the heat just and, and tissue you know, adaptation is everything. And then the only other thing I'd like to add to this is, you're not done when your long run is over. You need to start replenishing your nutrients as well as continue replacing your fluids for the next three to four hours.
0: Right, and just to close the loop on the sweat rate, I think it would be worth your time, dear listeners, to. F- know what your own sweat rate is and and if you go to our website runnersworld.com you can there's a good story there about how to determine your own sweat rate it basically it's not difficult It, it involves weighing yourself before a long run in the heat and then weighing yourself as soon as you get back And that will tell you roughly what your sweat rate is, and it will help you dial in roughly how much fluid volume you need to take in on any given run to replace what you lose. If you've never done this, I bet you will be surprised at just how much fluid you actually lose in the heat during a long run. Okay, the second thing that Tish touched on that I just want to put a finer point on is, is performance, readjusting your expectations, whether it's a race or a long run. So, Megan, how specifically can people dial back and and adjust their expectations when it's hot?
1: I think that going by effort instead of pace is probably the best way to do that. You know, leave your watch at home, run by effort, race by effort. Um, You're not going to misinterpret that. You know, easy effort will feel slower, but still like easy effort and race pace will feel like race pace, even if it is slower.
0: Okay, another thing that a lot of runners do when it's really hot out is go inside and run on the treadmill. So we have a really good treadmill-related question here from Kelly Martinez McCullough. I have to do much of my training on the, she calls it the dreadmill, her words, not mine. Will it work? I feel like running on the mill is cheating. But is running on the treadmill different than running outside?
2: There's there's information or there's support that says yeah it's a little bit different but if you're running you're running Um, bottom line and I've known probably three or four elite runners over you know 15 or 20 years that have done 80 to 85 percent of their training on a treadmill and have run extremely well the one thing you can do on a treadmill that you can't really do outside is create a course that is very similar to your goal course. So um, if you have the opportunity to program a course into the treadmill ahead of time or just change the incline and decline along your run, you can mimic the race course that you plan to run on the treadmill. So you get, you know, you get your run in, um, you get used to the type of terrain that you're going to be running on and you can control the pace. Controlling the pace is probably the the biggest problem that many of us have because we tend not to warm up as much on a treadmill as we should. We let our eyes tell us how fast we think we should be running rather than allow our body to ease into a comfortable effort.
0: All right, Megan, I've always had this in my head that there's a 10% difference between running on the treadmill and running outside. Have you heard anything like that?
1: I've heard the you have to adjust the incline to 1% to make it equivalent to running outside. And that has been proven to be a myth. Um, That is true, but only if you are running very fast, um, fast enough that wind resistance would become a a factor uh, if you were running outside. And, you know, I worked with a coach a few years ago and had to do some treadmill training under her, and she always recommended just varying the incline very slightly between negative 1% and positive 1.5% over the course of a run, just so the repetitive motion of running on flat wouldn't lead to any injuries.
0: Okay, speaking of inclines, we got a couple of good questions about hills. And Tish, I'm gonna start with you because you have a really cool goal race coming up that has one or two hills in it. Uh, Pretty simple question from Joe Johnston. Can weightlifting help with a hilly 10 miler?
3: Okay, so I talked to my coach, Bud Coates, before I started training for my hilly race. And he said, where are the hills? And the hills in this particular race are at the end of the race. So what he told me to do was to finish my runs on hills. So if I'm doing up to about a 10 or 12 miler, so do a 10, 12 miler and finish on a hill. And I've also tried to do that in um, just sort of, you know, my easy four and five milers during the week. Um, So that helps a lot. I also um, have been going to the gym and I do um, exercises like um, just basic stuff like squats and um, lunges and um clam and uh leg lifts i'm trying to do things to work the glutes and the quads and i'm trying to strengthen the uh the muscles that you use in your legs when you're running
0: and are you noticing a difference when you're running on hills? oh
3: absolutely and it took a while um for for me to start feeling better on it and, and i'm trying to tap into that confidence before i go to this hilly race the other thing i would do if it, if If it had been summer, I would have been on my bike a lot. Riding hills on a bike is another great great way to build the strength for running hills. But it's been too cold this particular season.
0: Yeah. Okay. Another question from Debbie Lee, who lives in South Florida. And her problem is that when she's training, there just aren't that many hills or bridges around where she lives. And when she travels to a race that does have hills and bridges, she feels like she struggles. She does well in high humidity, but whenever... She's running over bridges and hills in a in a different city. She really struggles. So, what what's a way for someone to train for hills if they live in an area where there aren't a lot of hills and they either don't want to run on the treadmill or they don't have access to a treadmill?
2: Stairs are a great option, uh, and whether you work in a you know an office building where there's multiple flights, or if you're just in a two story house, you can. Uh, use the first two steps of a staircase. Um, Just go up and down in rhythmic fashion, up two steps, down two steps. Um, Don't turn around, so you go up forward and down backwards. Um, And that's why you only go two steps at a time so that uh, you don't trip. But just a repetitive motion of climbing up and down those stairs is, you know, fantastic. And you can do, you know, five minutes worth, 10 minutes worth, 15, um, it isn't the greatest option, but it, it's, it's fine. And the, the other thing are stadium stairs. There's usually a football stadium around, whether it's a high school stadium or a collegiate stadium. But, um, you know, bleachers and stadium stairs are, are a great way to do that. And then Tish is absolutely correct. Lunges and squats are fantastic. Do until the cows come home, right? Megan, anything else?
1: You know, one thing we've recommended in the past is uh, parking garages, obviously with the big caveat that you don't (laughs) want to be in there during rush hour when a ton of people are trying to park their cars. Uh, Not just because there's a lot of cars, but there's a lot of exhaust. It's not the most pleasant way to get your run in. But if you can go on an off hour and practice running up those ramps, it is a hill that you can find in even the flattest areas.
0: And how about intensity? When you're running hills or running stairs, do you wanna be going at a very high intensity or do you wanna be doing the the reps closer to what your race pace is gonna be?
1: I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of the workout. So for this particular um, listener who wrote in with the question and she's she doesn't have a lot of hills around her, for her, I would want her to start at you know a pretty conversational, Effort as her body gets used to going up and down these inclines, even if that means having to slow down a lot, even if it means having to take walk breaks, she kind of needs to get used to the hills before she can start pushing herself on them. Um, But for people who have more access to hills, things like hill sprints have helped me build up my glutes and learn to engage my glutes while I'm running. So really short repetitions, 10 to 20 seconds with full recovery in between They really activate those muscles that so many of us don't
0: activate. And if you do live in an area where there are lots of hills to choose from, what's the perfect grade that people should try to run on?
1: You know, nobody really knows what grade means. I mean, we do. We know what it means. But if I saw a hill, I wouldn't be able to say that's a 10% grade or that's a 20% grade. I think if you know it's a hill... It's good enough, you know, and, and steeper works different muscles differently. Uh, but, you know, long gradual ones, those are useful in different ways. So I think kind of mixing up the kinds of hills you train on is probably the best answer to that.
0: Yeah. Variety. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think the uh, there there are two kinds of hills. Um, ones that you can't see the top and those that you can see the I top. I hate those ones. And the ones that you can't see the top, those are going to typically be hills that you take your time and you conquer. And those that you can see the top are those that you can put a little bit bit more effort in um, and use those as as a bit of an interval type uh, workout going up and down the hill.
0: Our producer, Christine Fennessy, who's sitting here with us with um, earphones on but no microphone in front of her, has been doing this sometimes just once a week, sometimes twice a week, but she's been running up 10th Street. We all know what 10th Street is. It's the street where our office is. It's this insane hill. What, Bud, when you said you can't see the top, I've, I immediately flashed to 10th Street because you cannot see the top of 10th Street. And on doing almost that workout by itself once or twice a week, she recently ran a 5K PR. Is that not correct, Christine? Yes. So that's an indication of what some hard hill training can really do for you. Uh, okay. We're talking about cross-training. Let's, let's just one more question about cross-training before we move on to something slightly more specific from Becky Fedora Clayton. If you had to pick just one cross-training activity during training, what would it be? I'm curious to hear an answer from each of you. Tish.
3: So because it's it's been a, sort of a chilly winter and I'm a wimp on the bike when it's the least bit chilly, I've been actually in the pool a lot this, this winter. I've since November so about five or six months of getting into the pool twice a week and I'm not a terrific swimmer so I do a little breaststroke I get the kickboard I use fins with the kickboard and I'm up to 45 minutes at a time which for me is like really huge and it feels good the water feels good I'll do some stretching in the water um, and I think it what that does is it provides you a really nice um, counterpart to running and it loosens you up. Uh, it, when it gets to be warmer and I'm out on the bike, that's my favorite cross training. And I really like that for building strength and for covering miles. It's great for the head to just get out there and ride and have fun.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. The other thing that I have picked up from swimming that has benefited my running is breathing I've gotten much better at breathing, just being aware of my breath, making sure that I'm not holding my breath. Uh, And swimming really helped me with that immensely. How about you, Megan? The one cross-training activity you would recommend?
1: I am not really great about cross-training. Shocking. Do as we say, not as we do, as we always say. But um, probably my favorite that I've been consistent with, even in my current state of Semi laziness is just walking. Walking or hiking, um, it's a great thing to do to shake out your legs in the middle of the day when you've been sitting at work or, you know, the day after a hard workout. And it's pretty much the same movement as running, except you don't have to change to do it or shower after you do it. So I'm kind of partial to walking for okay. that reason.
2: All right. How about you, bud? Uh, if I have to go inside, I like the elliptical machines. Um, and if I go outside, I, I do like to bike, but I've really fallen in love with the elliptical. And um, it's the running motion. Um, I should have seen that. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can put 50, 60 miles on that baby on a Sunday and um, I get very exhausted. But the nice thing is I don't have the, the pounding. Um, and yeah. With my knees right now, that's a wonderful thing.
0: It is a great training tool. It is. All right, I'm just gonna give a little bit of a shout out to plain old-fashioned strength training, and that's partly because I'm about to turn fifty, and I have noticed uh, that, and, and this this is normal. You know, I've lost a fair amount of muscle mass as I have gotten older. I used to lift quite a bit when I was younger, and I was playing other sports growing up, and I got away from it when I became a runner, and you know, then a triathlete, and I was staying fit and strong in other ways, but. Focused strength training is different than than swimming and, and cycling and being a runner. And I have gotten back to it recently in my marathon training phase, and I've been battling some injuries. And man, what a difference. You know, a regular focused strength training, weightlifting program can do um, to help with your running. It doesn't only make you stronger and bigger. That's not even necessarily the idea. The idea is to get longer and leaner and stronger. At least that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and it's really made a difference. Let's get a little more focused into half-marathon training. The half-marathon, of course, continues its run of popularity. The highest percentage growth of any race distance in America is still the half-marathon. Several great questions in this category. Um, Here's one from Alex Lodge. How would you advise getting back into a training plan for a half-marathon? After recovering from an injury, my race is 12 weeks away. But realistic?
2: Probably not. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking with a lot of experience because I uh, had one knee uh, operated on two years ago, and the other knee operated on about a year ago. Um, 12 weeks after um, you know a, a, an injury is is tight because it really takes about 12 weeks for a person who's already fit and already running and healthy to train for a half marathon and do well. What I would recommend is mixing walking with running and plan on doing that in the half, if in fact you do the half.
0: Okay, and by the way, Alex's injury, I didn't say this, is is a knee injury. Right. Megan, it sounds like Alex might be doing this race (laughs) in 12 weeks. Um, Any additional advice for how to prepare for that? if he is wedded to the idea of doing this race one way or the other.
1: Uh, My tip would be if you saw a physical therapist or you got any kind of exercises that helped you recover from that injury, keep doing them, do them religiously, do whatever it takes for you to stay healthy. And that should be your primary goal right now is to, to be on that starting line healthy. Um, that's more important than feeling like you can set a PR or any kind of, you know, ambitious goal. Um, You really just want to be able to keep running and to keep running without pain.
0: Yeah. Okay. A similar question, but a a different reason for the layoff. And, And we've covered this at Runner's World many times over the years, and this is related to pregnancy, Tish. It's a question from Deanna who says, I am due with my second child in a few weeks. Once I'm cleared postpartum... I was wondering if you had any tips for getting back into training after so much time off i'm signed up for a half marathon as motivation approximately five months after my due date i have no time goal just hoping to finish upright she says with a little smiley face in in her email what should deanna do to think about this race tish
3: well first off congratulations to her and <laughs> having ah. a baby <laughs> and um and i would also say uh you know back to take throwing all expectations out the window uh in terms of, of performance and 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 it also sounds real another like a really tight schedule five months is not a long time after you have a baby in in your life um and it, it's going to change her body and it's going to change everything about her life um you know in terms of sleeping and recovering and and it's going to be a challenge and i you know personally i wouldn't put that kind of pressure on myself
1: Yeah, you know, my my thought when I saw this is there's so much unpredictable about, you know, pregnancy and childbirth. You don't know if you'll bounce back quickly or more slowly. But the most important thing is to follow your body's schedule, not your race schedule. Um, I know some people who have come back from pregnancy splendidly, and I know others who rushed back into running and suffered injuries that they're still trying to figure out. So uh, just long term, it would be so much smarter to, you know, just listen to your body. And if your body is ready for that race, great. But if it's not, don't force it to be.
0: Okay. Uh, This is from Angela Burns, who says, My wife and I are training for a half marathon that will take place this fall. Our training starts mid-July, but in the first week of August, we're going on a seven-day trip. Can I miss a whole week of running and then do my long run, or should we bump up our training program by a week so that we start a week earlier? Bud, what do you recommend?
2: I'd actually recommend starting the training program for the half marathon three weeks before the trip three weeks three weeks before do the first week second week and third week of training then take a week off for the canoe trip and then go back to week two and continue your training from there that will put you right where you need to be
0: alright interesting advice how come
2: well w- what's happening is is you want to start you know building your running fitness and, it, and it, um, it'll take about two to three weeks to really get into a schedule let your body start adapting to it um, so that that three weeks is good then you take a week off and you step back a week in training and that'll take you to week two and uh, really I, it's i think it's pretty much ideal
0: okay another half marathon question this time from flavio i have been training for a month now for my first half marathon in november i'm running six days and 30 miles per week. Do you have any advice for first time half marathoners? So a little bit of an open-ended question, Megan, but wow, six days a week and 30 miles, miles—that that's plenty oh, for yeah. a half marathon.
1: That is very solid half marathon training right there. First half marathon, if it's your first attempt at that distance, my recommendation for long distance races is always for the first one, enjoy it. Um, You know, go out there, maybe start a little conservatively um, and and you want to finish with a smile on your face, excited to do the next one, and you want to be able to set an even better time in your next one, which should be easy if you go out at a conservative pace.
0: Okay, and Bud, for first-time half marathoners in particular, the idea is not to go out and run six days a week and basically do the same distance at the same pace all six times, right? Can you talk a little bit about the ideal mix of different kinds of workouts to target different fitness systems?
2: Absolutely. Um, First of all, um, I'd I'd either recommend putting the brakes on for a little while. Um, It's a long way from now until November. Um, And if you're training with the idea that you're gonna be doing a half marathon in six months, um, you may burn yourself out by the time you get there. So what I would recommend is exactly what, what David just said, is mixing your training up a little bit and actually um, maybe decide to train for the 5K and 10K over the early summer months. And we've got some great programs um, through Runner's World that can help you do that. And what they'll do, uh, along with training for the 5K and 10K, you'll uh, you'll understand that certain days are long days uh, at a slower pace and other days, you're running with quality and, and maybe, um, with some hill training in there too, if the course you're gonna be running on includes some hills. Do that for, um, you know, May and June, and then um, in July, start training for your half marathon 10 to 12 weeks out. And um, those 5K and 10K races that you did in the summer can give you an idea of what a good goal would be to shoot for in that half marathon.
0: Okay. Let's spend a little bit more time on this idea of quality, right? Because that, that is a word that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And usually when you hear someone talk about quality runs or quality training, it probably means that you're doing something uh, intentionally at a, at a hard pace or a fast pace, as opposed to going out and just running you know, five or six or eight miles at a relaxed pace. There's value in that kind of run too, but quality generally means something that's much more focused and probably harder, right? And there's a question from Lorianne Soberzak Dunford. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Lorianne. The question is, what's the best way to get faster and run farther? Can you do both at the same time or work on one and then the other? It's a great question. What, what's the best way to get at that, Megan?
1: Well, I would say it's possible to do both at the same time, especially if you're a newer runner. Um, Most runners can do, you know, two to three quality workouts a week. And by that, I mean one long run on the weekends that's done at an easier pace, but it's farther than, you know, you run during the week. And then one to two quality, faster workouts during the week, one that might be speed work, so intervals – Um, either on a track or somewhere else. Um, The other one could be a tempo run, which is done at comfortably hard pace, about half marathon pace. And that kind of workout kind of bridges speed and endurance at the same time. So maybe a good plan for her would be to, you know, start with a weekly long run and then add in one good, faster workout each week, maybe alternating between interval work one week and doing a tempo run of, you know, an easy mile to warm up a couple miles at comfortably hard pace and then an easy mile to cool down uh, the other week.
0: Okay, so Bud, you agree it is possible to work on getting faster and improving your endurance at the same time?
2: Absolutely, um, it, but again, it also depends on what the person's history is, um, and if if they're a uh, beginning runner, uh, a newbie, I would recommend just slowly increasing the distances that you're running. You, as you get fitter, as you run longer and get more fit, you will automatically get faster. There's there's no doubt about it. Once you've gone through that program, um, whether it's you know two or three months, a half a year, and you get a little bit more greedy, then you can start putting salt and vinegar into your workout. You, you can do your long <laughs> runs, you can do your speed workouts, you can do your hill training and your tempo runs. But what most people forget about is rest days and easy days are just as important. So if you do a long run, say on Sunday, then Monday is probably best to take off or do some cross training that doesn't include impact. Tuesday a bit of an easy run day and then Wednesday as Megan said you can you can insert that interval workout or that tempo run but because that's quality now you need a rest day and a recovery run again so you you need to you know kinda do a yo-yo style training where you're working hard and then you're working easy and then you're working hard and then you're working easy.
3: So I'm just going to speak up here for um, the master's runners, and that's uh, anybody over 40, and especially if, if you know, like me, you've been running for 30 years consistently, and to say that it's really hard to focus on both going longer and getting faster. And I found myself, if I try to do both, like if I target a spring marathon and a spring 5K, I'm going to run into trouble. So I, I, you know, this particular thing I'm doing in the, this spring is a longer event, and I have not done any speed work at all. I've done some hill work. I did exactly one tempo run of three miles before a half marathon, just to make sure I could pick up the pace a little bit. Um, but I, you know, it's for for me, it's really, really important to to build one or the other and to really focus on it and to um, focus not just the training but the recovery um, on on that particular goal.
0: Okay this next question made me laugh it's from brookanna alford i hate 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 and that third hate is in all caps running on a track are there workouts i can do to improve my speed without going in circles (laughs) megan
1: There definitely are. I don't love running on tracks either. Um, You know, one option is to take a GPS device, whether that's your smartphone with an app or a GPS watch and just measure, you know, about a quarter of a mile or a half mile on, you know, the road or in a park and do repeats of that. Um, Another option is to do repeats by time instead of distance. This is something I really like doing um, just because you know, you have to tune into your body, you have to tune into your effort level. Um, you might run one minute at a hard, comfortably hard to hard effort, recover with a minute or two of easy jogging and repeat. That is a speed workout that, you know, um, takes the pressure off a little bit and your body will respond because it only knows duration and intensity. It does not know pace. so. Things like that are super fun and great for people who hate tracks.
0: Yeah. OK, well, just let's devil's advocate this for a second. But I love track workouts. I've done many of them under your tutelage. What are the advantages of doing speed workouts on a track as opposed to on the roads?
2: Yeah, some of the advantages and, and you know, you can do uh, speed work on a track or a measured trail. But we're, we're talking about, you know, the idea that, you know, not everybody loves running around in circles. Um, the nice thing about a track is it's controlled, and you can learn pace, and you can learn effort, um, and and you can understand the time that relates to that effort. So so as long as you know you're using the track to run paces that are relative to what your present ability is, um, I think that's the most important thing. So if you if you do um, say eight quarters or eight 400 meter runs with a you know recovery jog in between um, most of us uh, when we first get started we're a little rambunctious and we'll go out a little too quickly so that first interval is a little too fast. Um, Then we calm down um, run the second one under control but then you start to learn what that effort is like and what that pace is like and you hone in on a certain pace. The second and third time through um, week after week you tend to make less mistakes early on in the workout. So you do get an idea of pace. And then um, it's, it's easier to do what Megan's suggesting is to go out on the road and just run by effort and time. Um, you won't know exactly how far or how fast you're going. That's fine because quite honestly, in a race, you're, you're not gonna be, most of us aren't gonna be running on the track. We're gonna be running on the roads or on the trails. So you're really going to have to understand what that effort needs to be.
0: Okay. Bud, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned salt and vinegar, and that made me think of French fries, which made my stomach start grumbling. So I'm going to finish with a nutrition question, and it comes from Rache Clark, who is looking for an on-the-run fuel suggestion for long runs. Um, gels upset Rishe's GI system. What's what's the best thing, Megan? for that on the run fuel?
1: You know, there are so many options you could try, but the keyword there is try. You need to try these in training and see which of them works for you. Um, I've tried candy before, Swedish fish, just like little bites of those. Uh, I've seen people who don't like sweets carry mini pretzels with them. Obviously, you're going to need to bring water in that situation um, to kind of wash them down. But that's good if you don't like really sugary options. There's also honey. There's maple syrup. There are so many things you can find in your pantry that you could try. The the key is to just get some simple carbs that are easy for you to digest.
0: Okay, and that leads again to a question of how much. Great question from Jeremy Nicholas, who asks, is there a refueling ratio? that would help runners better calculate how we should fuel during training and racing. Jeremy says he's 6'4", 235, and that he burns 3,000 to 4,000 calories during a three-hour run. I have in my head, Megan, and I feel like we have published this before, that there are some rules of thumb, though, and that in general, if you are doing a workout or you're racing and you are going to take in some carbs, that you want to aim for about 25 grams or so. Is that right?
1: I think the technical recommendation is 30 to 60 grams per hour if you're going to be running for longer than 75 minutes or so. Um, That said, if you take in that much and it makes you sick, that's too much for you. Um, You know, you can take in all the carbohydrates in the world, and if you're not digesting them, they're not going to help you perform better. So it really depends on how much you can process while you're running at race pace. That's something a lot of runners don't think about. They think, oh, I'll take this on my long, easy run, and it sits well, and then they get into a race day scenario, and they're running at a faster pace and they're like, this doesn't feel so good anymore. So that's another important thing to do in training is to take that fuel on at least one or two race pace runs and make sure it still agrees with you at that pace.
2: Yeah, and those are those runs that Megan, you referred to before as like the temple runs mm-hmm. um, where you're, you are running at a quicker pace, you're diverting more blood to the working muscles and not quite as much to your di- digestive system, the stomach.
0: Okay, lots of great advice and information. I want to thank all of you for being here, Executive Editor Tish Hamilton.
3: Thanks for having me, David.
0: Training Editor Megan Keita.
3: This was a lot of fun.
0: And Training Director Bud Coates. Glad I could help out. I also want to say thanks to all you listeners who sent us your questions. We will be holding these roundtables periodically, so keep sending questions in. If we didn't get to your question this time, we just might at the next roundtable. I'm David Willey, editor-in-chief of Runner's World, and this week's show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.